we would be studying prophets with an S, and we would do approximately three weeks on each one. But um, the pastoral staff with Deborah and came inspired, and we're going to continue on in Daniel, Palm Sunday. So we're going to continue this study. Uh, we have some interesting things to happen after, including a trip to Israel with Harry uh, and... Oh, Ollie and I'm sorry, I'm not being silly. I can't remember the names, but they are uh, local um, liaisons from liaisons from Israel, Israel and yeah. they'll be sending. And then John Geib and Zev Rosenberg will be back uh, following that to end the year. So um, just to give you an, an idea of what's going on and heads up the the change that's coming. Very good, very good. If you get Really close to me this morning, you'll you'll notice that I smell like coffee. What? It's, um, what? Why? Did somebody ask why? Why? They ran out of Coke. <laughs> <laughs> Diet Coke. Diet Coke. Diet Coke. No, um, as I was driving in to the parking lot, found my parking spot, I was feeling really, really good. I, I don't know about you folks. I am loving this study. And Debbie's doing this amazing job. And so... You know, she's gone today, I'm here, but I'm feeling really, really good about this class, and this is just going to be wonderful, and I pick up my cup of coffee, and right in my car, and it just, in my lap. Yeah, guys, ouch. Which means I had to go all the way back home, change my clothes, and come all the way back out. And that's when I realized, okay, the subject of the week is humility or humiliation. How this next hour goes will determine for the rest of the day whether I'm living a day of humility or of humiliation. We will find out. Let's pray. God of grace and God of glory, we give you thanks and praise for this Sabbath day where we gather as your people to worship you, to praise you, and to thank you to seek understanding of your word that we might then go out into the world and live that word. Bless us now as we have gathered that you might open to us through the power of your Holy Spirit meaning and purpose. How we might be yet more faithful, energetic Christians in the world. And this for the glory and praise of Jesus Christ, who alone is our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Okay. A brief, and really a a really brief kind of summary of where we've been. It it seems to me as we look at this book uh, of Daniel, the, the prophetic book of Daniel, we, we are getting a glimpse into the life of a person who has differentiated their life from others. In other words, Daniel's life looks much different than the life of the other people he's coming into contact with. Um, we're learning what it is to have a life that is shaped by prayer because we've recognized already that everything he does seems to involve prayer. We're learning about integrity of self, that even when we're in um, a culture of seduction, which we've 
title of the whole study, that there is a way through the power of God and the Spirit to hold on to our integrity uh, and the rightness of faith, so to speak. Um, we're learning how to turn our hearts outward to a, or to, a, to a world, even though the world is so different from what we would hope it would be, pray it could be. Uh, in fact, we're able to reach out into a world with the hope that the world might become something other. Um, so we're learning how to bear the word out into a world that really doesn't want to hear it, doesn't want much to do with it. Uh, all of that's, that's happening uh, as we're, we're moving through these, these chapters. If we look uh, briefly again at, at chapter 1, um, and I don't, we have extra copies of today's page if you didn't bring your booklet. Um, and next week we'll try to have more full booklets because I, I realize the full booklet is, is, is pretty useful to, to have as, even as we go week by week. Um, but Debbie has kind of termed that, that first chapter um, coming to terms with exile. Um, the idea that, that Daniel has found himself in a culture not of his own. And he is showing us how to walk a line between getting sucked into that culture in inappropriate ways and how to avoid that, how to stand your own ground, as it were, where you are. Um, and, and we learned the first week that, that, in a sense, that's a little bit of a dance. It, it's not that the culture out there is all bad, but it will call us to surrender part of who we are. Um, and sometimes that's okay, but oftentimes it is not. And in terms of, of serving the Lord, uh, finding those, those boundaries um, where we remain faithful uh, and yet also stand up against a culture that, that wants nothing more than to seduce us into... Um, into its grasp. Michael's sermon this morning is, is going to touch on this, I think, pretty powerfully, as Jesus is doing the same thing. How do you live uh, from the fifth chapter, from the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, how do you live in, in a culture of oppression um, faithfully? It's not always an easy thing. Uh, chapter two, I guess I could do this too, huh? Did it do anything? There we go. Um, the whole thing of dreams, uh, dreams and crisis, and prayer in community. What is it to have trusted friends that you can count on that will hold you accountable? Uh, as, as Daniel's trying to figure out how to respond to the king's dream. Whenever I read the second chapter, I always think of, of Kipling's um, poem, If, if you can keep your head when everyone around you is losing theirs. That's Daniel here. He's, he's keeping his head. As the king has, has um, you know, suggested they're all going to die because they, they can't figure out the dream, he keeps his wits about him. And he turns to prayer. Um, and not prayer all by himself, but prayer and community with his, 
with his, um, well, today we might call it our church group or our small group. Uh, he turns to his friends in order to, to consider. Um, chapter 3, the, the fiery furnace. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, has is, is, uh, really built uh, an altar to himself. Um, and he wants it to be known as God. And the question is, like in the first chapter, where do we yield? Where do we, where do we give up? And where do we stand firm? Um, and, and the practice that went with that was that whole thing about um, submission. How do we submit to God? How do we submit? When do we submit to the worldly powers around us? When do we submit, however, first and foremost to God, the will of God? Um, where do I stand firm? And, we, and, and I thought Debbie quite brilliantly brought in Romans 12 where Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore brothers and sisters by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Um, Fiery furnace is pretty much offering to God your body as a living sacrifice. And yet again, God proves God's self to be to be faithful. So that's the summary, where we've been. Now we, we move on to chapter 4. Um, and as I said earlier, humility or humiliation. Um, do we have Bibles out? Who is prepared to read? So we're going to start. Debbie has it lined out here. These are, these are These are good pericopes in terms of, of breaking down the story in ways that help us to understand it. So who would read 4, 1 to 3? It's the shortest. It's the shortest, folks. What's this with the short jokes? It wasn't a short joke. Love you, Pastor Dave. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that live throughout the earth, may you have abundant prosperity. The signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me, I am pleased to recount. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his sovereignty is from generation to generation. Who's speaking? Okay. <laughs> it's the king. Um, yeah, it, and, and you get from, from the beginning of the, the chapter, don't you get the sense, he's finally got it. You know, he's, he's finally got it. Maybe watching three guys not burn in a furnace did something to him. Maybe seeing the angel... Joining them in the fiery furnace did something to him. You think? You think? Well, yeah, we're going to continue reading. Um, and what I'm going to suggest, and don't take this personally, folks. 
I'm looking in the mirror as I say this. King Nebuchadnezzar, in, in so many ways, is the stand-in for you and me. Okay? We're, if, if, if we have our moments of being Daniel, thanks be to God. But all too often, and we know this about ourselves, we're, we're more like Nebuchadnezzar. So as we read this, let's be careful to not be pointing fingers. Um, unless, of course, you realize the old analogy, when you point one finger at somebody else, you got three more pointing back at you. Okay. Do you want to say something, or are you going to read? You think you're going to read? Okay. Then, would you read 4 through 18? Sure. I, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, was living at ease in my home and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that frightened me. My fantasies in bed and the visions of my head terrified me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me in order that they might tell me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not tell me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Bel- Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and who was endowed with the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that you are endowed with the spirit of the holy gods, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Hear the dream that I saw, tell me its interpretation." Upon my bed, this is what I saw. There was a tree at the center of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew grew great and strong. Its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, and it provided food for all. The animals of the field found shade under it. The birds of the air nested in its branches, and from it all living beings were fed. I continued looking in the visions of my head as I lay on my bed, and there was a holy watcher coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, Cut down the tree and chop off its branches, strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from beneath it and the birds from its branches. But leave its stump and roots in the ground with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let him be bathed with the dew of heaven. And let his lot be with the animals of the field and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a human, and let the mind of an animal be given to him, and let seven times pass over him. The sentence is rendered by decree of the watchers. The decision is given by order of the holy ones, in order that all who live may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of mortals. He gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of human beings. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are unable to tell me the interpretation. You are able, however, for you are endowed with a spirit of the holy gods. Okay, thank you. So we don't sit around and play guessing games with what the dream means. Let's go ahead and keep reading through um, 27. Who would read? Look at those hands fly up. Man. Oh. 
severely distressed for a while. His thoughts terrified him. The king said, Belazar, do not let the dream or the interpretation terrify you. Belshazzar answered, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew great and strong, so that its top reached to heaven and was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, and which provided food for all, under which animals of the field lived, and whose branches the birds of the air had nest. It is you, O king, you have grown great and strong. Your greatness has increased and reaches to heaven, and your sovereignty to the ends of the earth. And whereas the king saw a holy watcher coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the ground with a band of iron and bronze and the grass of the field, and let him be bathed with the dew of heaven, and let his lot be with the animals of the field until seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and it is the decree of the Most High that has come upon my lord the king. You shall be driven away from human society, and your dwelling shall be with the wild animals. You shall be made to eat grass and like oxen. You shall be bathed with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you until you have learned that the Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals and gives it to them to whom he will. As it was commanded to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be reestablished for you from the time that you learn that heaven is sovereign. Therefore, O king, May my counsel be acceptable to you, atone for your sins with righteousness, and your iniquities with mercy to the oppressed, so that your prosperity may be prolonged. Thank you. Could you read verse 27 one more time? Pivotal verse. Therefore, O king, may my counsel be acceptable to you, atone for your sins with righteousness, and your iniquities with mercy to the oppressed, so that your prosperity may be prolonged. Thank you. Okay, so the dream, he has the dream. It's kind of like back to the future, huh? It's kind of like the first dream in the sense that he has it, he's terrified of it, he doesn't know what to do with it, he tries to find people to interpret it, um, and eventually ends up having to call on Daniel to do it. Daniel does it. The dream itself speaks of what? Spelt it out. What do you think? What's this dream all about? King's submission. The king is full of himself. It's what? Oh, he's, he's, yeah, he certainly is not a humble guy. Um, yeah, this is ultimately a dream about power held wrongly. Um, and how God is going to interact. It, it's, it's a 
It's a dream that, that is a call to understand sovereignty. Who's got it? Who doesn't? Um, who is a, what's the word? Is it, is it a vice, viceroy or a regent that is under the king that um, ensures the king's commands are enforced? Is that the regent? His wife's job. Very good. Okay, so we have a beginning piece where, where it seems like the king's got it. He's got it. He's praising God. And then we'll assume a couple months, maybe a couple years pass, and mm, something's happened. He's now building idols. He has a dream. He has the dream interpreted. You'd think he'd get it, right? Great drama unfolding here. He doesn't get it. So who would read 28 to 33? All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king said, Is this not magnificent Babylon, which I have built as a royal capital by my mighty power and for my glorious majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, (laughs) to you it is declared. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven away from human society, and your dwelling shall be with the animals of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like oxen. And seven times shall pass over you until you have learned that the Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the sentence was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven away from human society, ate grass like oxen, and his body was bathed with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails became like birds' claws. He didn't get it. And the prophecy comes true. Okay, so he is banished. Um, He is to be made as one of the animals. He's going to live like this for seven years, seven seven times, seven years, uh, until he comes to a realization that it, it all isn't because of him. It's because of something or someone else. You notice at the beginning of the reading, look at all that I have done. Well, guess what? It wasn't you. It was God. So before the words are even out of his mouth, here's other words. Um, And they are the words of God. And they're basically basically saying, okay, told you once, told you twice. Finds himself roaming around on all fours. Um, let's finish up the reading. Who we'll do the, the last bit? Look at that. We have minister. No, you didn't do the first. Never mind. 
<laughs> when that period was over, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored the one who lives forever. For his sovereignty is an everlasting sovereignty, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does what he wills with the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. My counselors and my lords sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are truth and his ways are justice, and he is able to bring low those who walk in pride. Happy ending. Happy ending because Nebuchadnezzar has, has figured it out. It took him seven years, um, but he is now back where he began. So, in one sense, the rhythm of Nebuchadnezzar's life is often the rhythm of our life. We have a spiritual moment, an awakening. Uh, and we live in the glory of that moment for a while. Um, and then the world kind of comes back at us. And we have to face, like the king, the reality that... that we are egocentric, centrific people, um, and we forget. And then we, we have this event that reminds us again of who we are and whose we are. And then we go back out into the world again to play the whole scenario over again. Um, Debbie has some questions that I that I think really do help us focus in on this scenario in, in, in deeper ways, in, in ways that, that perhaps, perhaps may help us profit from the story. Um, the first one, you know, read Daniel 4, 4. Um, and then she has that question, which we ask a lot at this church. Um, to the point maybe that the congregants are getting tired of it. I don't know. I hope not. But it is that question that that constantly harps at us in terms of, of what is good, what is right, what is purposeful, who am I, what am I about, what am I supposed to be all about, how does God act in the world, she puts it, how does our culture define contented and prosperous? Um, how would a Christian define definition of success differ from that of Nebuchadnezzar? So I was looking at different verses in, in four alone that speak of the understanding of Nebuchadnezzar and success, prosperity, contentment. So if you look at verse 4, um, living at ease. I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
was at ease in my house and prospering in my palaces. So something about living with ease. We turn to the eighth verse. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar. It's one syllable too many in that name, don't you think? Belteshazzar, it should be Belteshazzar. Um, After the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of holy gods, and I told him the dream. Okay. You have to know something about the name Belteshazzar. Um, B-E-L, Bel, the beginning of the name, is a prefix. And to Nebuchadnezzar, it was another name for for his god, uh, Marduk. So he's thinking, at this point, that Daniel, Belteshazzar, is actually a disciple of Marduk, or of Baal. Um, So he's thinking that that part of what it is to be successful, to have it all, is to have God under your control, under your name. He's going to learn something about that a little later. Um, Looking at verse 9, there's something about prospering, feeling content, all of that, when you think you have God in control or at your fingertips. So he's talking about, you know, he's calling in the powers, the holy powers, the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the diviners, and finally Daniel. There's something that, that, I don't know about you, but I find really energizing when in a right way, I know I have God controlling things. It's another matter when I think I'm controlling God. Um, but boy, wouldn't we all be really content if we thought we had God in our control? Yeah. Yeah. Um, verse 11. He's got the earth, not only the earth in his power, but he's got the heavens in his power. He's got it all. That would make you content. And in verse 28 through 30, um, it seems as if he's been living as if he himself has a power to defy God. So it talks about turning from his sin and his iniquity. Um, And in that little phrase, there's something that says, I can defy God by doing this. Well, again, he's going to learn that's not how it works. Um, Back to Debbie's question, though. What about our culture? What do we see? And at this point, I'm going to ask you to, to break up into little groups. This is going to be a little unique this today. But um, the tables that are side by side, maybe one side wants to bring their chairs around to the other side, and we can create a small table that way. Round tables are set. Do it. You're grown up. You know how to do this. Um. But ask that question, how does our culture define contented and prosperous? See if we come up with anything new. 
question because I'm willing to bet that as we've done this question many times in different groups, we pretty much come up with the same answers. So what are some of the answers? A bigger castle than our neighbors, by the way. Oh, all right, well, in your neighborhood. <laughs> How do we find content, contentness and prosperity? How does the world? Thank you. What else? Relative to contentment. Um, what I was saying is that I don't think there's necessarily a connection there because when I was, I spent just a brief time in Jamaica and I, I, there were people there that seemed very content with almost nothing. No prosperity in terms of the general world prosperity, like a very right. tiny house, maybe no door on the house, like sleeping on the ground. And yet, would we consider them... Prosperous? Yeah, actually, it does matter what we think. It matters what we think because what we think translates into how we treat people and how we run our economies. Um, so, yes, it does matter what we think. What else did we find out? What does culture say makes us content and prosperous? Pretty much come down to the same things, don't we? Power, possessions. Yeah, I was. Uh, say, he said that um, that just the people um, Jamaica was it that they didn't have uh, property or uh, material goods, so that's what kept them prosperous. But really, they could have like internal values that would make them more prosperous than us. And I guess it's just that uh, we as Americans define prosperity as financial stability and uh, having a house or having, a, we said not only having a car, but having a nice car like a BMW or a Lexus. That is prosperity to Americans, but right. maybe to them it, it means something else. Doing better than our parents did? In what ways? Income. I mean, that's, if we, that's where we tend to go. Um, I want my kid to be more successful than me and when we think of that, it comes down to having more respect in, in the community, more power in the community, more wealth, uh, monetary wealth than I have. It always seems to come to the same thing. We also talked about in our group how sometimes as Christians we model the world, but in different ways, like we put different values on if you're a missionary, if you're a pastor, if you're, you, you know, it might be climbing that ladder of success too, but in a different way, maybe not monetarily or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. I leave the pastor thing out, but... but. We, we also touched on the generational differences in the definition of success, success in playing video games, um, and talking about this new challenge that has led to so many suicides, the blue whale challenge yeah. that the teens have been um, participating. So success there results in you. Yeah. Horrible ideas about what success. It, 
and you just said something very interesting that um, success in some ways, and maybe in more ways than we'd like to admit or understand, breeds a certain death. That, that oftentimes cultural understanding of, of what is success or provides contentment or joy actually leads to death. Um, or at least insanity, which is probably what King Nebuchadnezzar endured. That, so it begs the question, what, what truly brings value and purpose? One thing I've been noticing lately is the explosion of this happiness thing. People are lecturing on it, you know, how to achieve happiness and all this. And what I have noticed is it invariably uses some aspect of what they call spirituality, what it is, meditation, yoga, some Eastern faith, whatever. But they use spirituality to achieve happiness rather than centering their life on Christ like we do as Christians to achieve happiness. Yeah, you've raised an issue that is one of my little pet peeves. And that is the, um, the subjugation of the word spiritual or spirituality to almost anything that we think is going to make us happy and full and whole. Uh, when it has a very particular root, um, and the root itself is, is in the word Yahweh. So, which of course is... Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so even the, the, the misuse, the reappropriation of, of um, faith nomenclature, taking our words and, and bending them, a, a concept we're going to get into here in just a, a short bit, bending. Um, okay, second question talks about or asks, you know, what role does pride play in Nebuchadnezzar's understanding of himself? Um, Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar, on the New Year's Day, every New Year's Day, presented himself at the temple. And during this New Year's Day temple service, a priest would walk up to him and slap him across the face. And we're, we're not talking about a... A tender little, you know, little ding. We're talking more like a, no, a, a real wallop. And it is supposed to symbolize for the people that the king is humble. That, um, that he is meek. Now, put yourself in the, the, the place of being an exile who has because of your, your place in exile, has been watching the movements of this king. And that's going to leave you a little hollow, isn't it? The king is really out there. He's subjecting more people to his rule. He's, he's conquering more lands. He's, he's bringing more people into exile. He's claiming more and more for himself. Um, his tree limbs are spreading. So from Daniel's perspective, um, the outward nature of the king, the true nature of the king, isn't what it, it pretends to be. 
but it is something quite different. Um, and Debbie uses the word snarled, that the king gets snarled, wrapped up in um, pride. Again, that's not a question I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask us to talk about because I want to spend most of our time on the third question, but um, pride is again not one of those little attributes that um, is limited to those people outside the church. You know, um, I used to have a line that I that I used a lot um, because I thought it was funny, and it was, um, "I'm conceited, but I've got a right to be." Yeah. Okay. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You'll get an extra ration, serving of rations tonight. Um, All right. The third question is what I really would like us to focus on for a little bit here. What what did Daniel advise Nebuchadnezzar to do in verse 27? Um, at, At first sight, it seems pretty straightforward. Um, but again, let, let's read it. Who's anybody handy? There you go. What's first again? Twenty-seven. Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your tranquility. Okay. What version was that? Is that RSV? Yes. It's RSV. The church. Does anybody have the NRS, NSRV? RSV. I hope somebody does, because it's the one you're supposed to be using. Jesus used it. Oh, go ahead. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. He no, he didn't. Yeah, he used the King James. That's no. what Don says. No. Therefore, O King, may my counsel be acceptable to you. Atone for your sins with righteousness and your iniquities with mercy. So the oppressed, um, I'm sorry, iniquities with mercy to the oppressed, so that your prosperity may be prolonged. Okay. Starts off quite humbly, doesn't he? Oh, I hope, uh, I hope what I say doesn't send you down the wrong path or tick you off or make me lose my head or whatever. He's, Daniel's done this before. Wisdom with humility. But he's forthright and he's honest with the king. Um, and so I'm going to ask if, if we can at our tables rewrite this verse. So I just realized I didn't get pens out or anything. Um, so let's not do that. We'll not do that. We have a lot of note takers. Looks like we got paper. Um, all right. Let's take three minutes to do this. Three minutes. Again, three minutes only because this shouldn't be that hard, right? Do it. Rewrite it for the purpose of rewriting it. Put it in words that make sense to you.
quick. Three people that would share their quick definition. Okay. Three different groups. Quick, quick. Over there, way over there, way over there. All right, we kind of modernize it a little bit. Oh, king, listen to me. Stop sinning and do good. Give to the poor, and you will be at peace with God. Worthy of the message. Modernize, translate. Worthy of Eugene. Okay, one more. Come on, gang. Oh! Which says... Well, I thought I'd let you... Yeah! What does the Lord require thee? Of mercy and walk humbly. It's what? Might be a theme, but you nailed it. You nailed it. Okay, over here. So don't kill me for saying this, but you got to make up for all you've done wrong. Stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves so you can continue to be successful. Very good. And it ain't going to be easy. It ain't going to be easy. Um, okay. Here's the thing. We see Daniel's incredible wisdom here. Um, so if we're looking at the verse, according to Jesus' version, therefore, O king, may my counsel be acceptable. I think that's pretty clear. You know, I hope you'll listen to me. I, I think I've got something good to say to you. Why, you know, this is good counsel. Atone for your sins with righteousness. So atone for your sins and your iniquities with mercy. Okay, is that just a simple repeat? No. It's not. Sins in this context, um, is, uh, amounts to breaking the law. Okay, so it's literally doing wrong. And so Daniel is telling the king to stop doing wrong and do righteousness, do right. Now, this according to the law. But iniquities are something different. Iniquities aren't just doing wrong. I want to make sure I get this right. Um, but iniquity has to do with twisting. Um, at its root, it has to do with making something that is one thing look like another. Okay, um, it's bending. We we might say it, it, it's akin to bending the truth to um, serve yourself. There's a quirky little movie out right now called um, A Simple Man. It's on Netflix. It's about a Jewish professor, and and he's been given a bribe. This is one of the minor scenes, and he's been given the bribe. And throughout the whole movie, he's trying to figure out. 
if he should take the bribe. Student comes in, he's going to lose his scholarship and all that, and leaves an envelope on his desk with some money in it. I'm going to ruin the movie for you, but um, no, I won't. He wrestles with this question the whole movie, and at the end you see how he, I am going to ruin it, justifies what he's going to do. That is, an iniquity. that is an iniquity. That's an example of iniquity. It is the bending of the truth, which is a little different than wrongdoing, okay, as we tend to think of these things. Wrongdoing is breaking the law. Um, it's a subtle difference. But it leads us to this point. Most of us know when we're doing wrong, right? Thank you. Most of us know when we're doing something wrong. If I steal from Kmart, I know I'm doing wrong. So most of us, when we think of sin, are able to say in some sense that I don't sin. I don't break the law like that. I don't, I don't do wrongness. Iniquity, on the other hand, for me, that's the tricky one. Because that's the one that says, God says this, but I need or want this so how can I make this look like this? You get it? How can I, I twist a situation so that it looks like I'm still good, holy, righteous? And we do that. I'm not saying he is. I'm saying we... Right? So why would, why does he talk about Daniel's holy gods, which I interpret Trinity idea, Elohim. Right. He knows he gets the right answers from Daniel. That, that indicts him. To Daniel? It, well, it indicts, the king's indicting himself. I think God's... Oh, I thought you said in debt, sorry. Indicting. Right. His behavior, he chooses the Jewish God over his own and even praises Yahweh, but yet he doesn't, you know, there it is. That, that's that exactly. He's trying to use his own capacity, iniquity, thinking, but yet he's, I think God's showing those people that I am the living God right. over top of all your right. other type of gods. Yeah. Um, so if I'm hearing you correctly, um, Nebuchadnezzar is basically saying, Daniel's God is powerful, but I'm going to rename him Belteshazzar. Thus, I can then say that really Daniel's God, who does the things I want, interprets dreams and things like that, is really my God. He's, He's manipulating images to his own... 
Yeah. Right, right. But 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 it proved that his own people couldn't interpret all that. You know, the dreams. And right. But bring that down to the personal level, to, to you, to me. It's part of our human DNA, it appears, to, to take truth and to bend it. So, did you, did you want to add something, Jack? In a sense, doing the right thing for the wrong reason. I, mean, I, I, I help the old lady across the street, hoping everybody will see me doing it. Or she'll give you a tip. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the point, I, the point I want to get to, I don't know if it's Debbie's point, but my point is when, when we come before God in confession, um, It's, it can be kind of easy because we don't understand ourselves as lawbreakers. You know, we know we're fallen. We know all that stuff. That's theology. But we don't really willingly go out and starve the poor. We don't willingly go out and, and ship back the, the immigrant. We don't, we don't do that. We don't do bad stuff. So our prayer of confession becomes this really general kind of, oh, forgive me. Some I don't even know. Forgive me. But to enter into confession, as King Nebuchadnezzar is being challenged to enter into confession, is, is to enter confession saying, God, I know I manipulate who you are what you give me, what you have for me in terms of purpose of life, I manipulate all that for my own purposes and move from there, that's a whole other ballgame. That's a whole other ballgame. To show mercy to the poor, in this case, is going to cost something. It's not going to be self-serving. It's going to be other-focused. Um, and that's where we kind of need to leave it there. It's 20 after, and i got other things to do here. Um, but I leave you with that. And, and so I, I've kind of added on to, to Debbie's practice this week. So I've somewhat rewritten it into confession and relinquishment. Um, so if you're interested, take one. I'll just put them right there. If you're not, I'm watching. Um, no, I'm not watching. I'm not watching. Um, but to come to that idea that, that sin is, is simply more than doing wrong, bad stuff. And it's even more than I was born in sin, I was conceived in sin, I'm a sinner. It takes us into the places of how we manipulate or work to manipulate God for one purpose, ourself, myself, yourself. Um, 
That's a, that's a whole other level up, folks. Daniel's calling Nebuchadnezzar up a level, a hefty level at that. All right, let's pray, and then let's go to worship. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the day, um, for relevation, releva- relevations, revelation that will come and help us, uh, make us whole, or challenge to understand ourselves better, more deeply, that we might really come to understand you more deeply. We cannot do it on our own, so we pray for your spirit as we continue in, in practice through hope that you will continue to transform us, uh, call forth from us our integrity, that your word and your way may be our word and our way, and that indeed all the kingdom may be given life in today's world. Through Christ we pray. Amen. All right.